Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the self-proclaimed world greatest podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, Woo! man. That baby, we're still here, still going, baby. Still going, baby. Week to week, we are not letting up on the pods for you guys during these difficult times. I know you're wondering, Cookie Pod, you were so inconsistent back in the day. Not anymore, baby. Not anymore. Consistency is key. Consistency is key. And Manchester City, Jim, continued their consistency by only scoring one goal this weekend. Yeah, they've done that a few times, haven't they, this year? Um, you'd have put your money on De Bruyne making it too, but... He was the, the Mr. Tyke completely. I mean, whenever I see a Premier League player, Mr. Tyke, you just think to yourself, like, how does that even happen? Um, and weirdly enough, the last Premier League player to miss a Mr. Tyke from a penalty spot was Riyad Mahrez back in 2018 when we drew with Liverpool 0-0. So those two games we probably didn't play the best in, but were solid at the back and should have come out with three points and we haven't. I um, don't know if you lads watched this, but Liverpool... I think they started a better team. For the first half hour, they were definitely dominant. When they started the front four, because we were talking about Hotter last week, saying if he was going to come in for Firmino, and Klopp played them both. And for the first 25, 30 minutes, definitely caught City by surprise, because they was like, just get, they got in behind within the first minute. Um, and then they got the goal, because Walker wasn't an, an, idiot, an idiot, as Roy Keane said. Um, and then after <laughs> that, um, Jesus scores a brilliant goal. Um like just out of nowhere really C didn't have a shot on target I think that was the first his first shot on target and from that goal I'd say C with a better team and if Kev put the penalty away then we'd have found ourselves with a game in hand to go above them so what did what did you make of it did you think um, Liverpool's 4-2-4 could stick around or is it just a, a one-off to try and catch Pep out um, yeah, I think I, th- it, I think everybody was surprised when he named all four. Like you say, uh, there was a few conversations of whether it would be Jota or Firmino and he went with both. So maybe it was to catch Pep out or maybe he's trying to find a way to shoehorn his best players into a side, which is very unclocked. He tends to have his, you know, his systems and he, he, put, he puts the, the right players into those positions and, and, you know, those profiles of player that he wants. So it, it was a shock, definitely. Um, and like you say, for the first 20, 30 minutes, it did take City by surprise. Um, you know, I spoke with people where I didn't see the first half, but they're saying, like you said, you know, the first twenty, thirty minutes, uh, Liverpool and particularly Mane were all over, were all over City, and they could have scored a few. Um, but yeah, no, um, I, th- I thought it was surprising to be honest. Um, I mean, I know we 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 know Liverpool to be quite a pragmatic team, but I mean, looking at that team on paper yesterday, Henderson and Wijnaldum were two, you know, box to box pretty all round midfielders. I think. Obviously, they've lost Thiago. They've lost a few of the specialists that they have. They didn't really have many. Obviously, Trent's now are going to be out for rumoured four to six weeks. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how they keep going with um, you know these players dropping like flies. But I did think it was a good Liverpool performance. I think they they definitely battered the first half. Yeah, I think when you talk about pragmatism, though, it was, a, it was kind of pragma- pragmatic, obviously. Um, because it was, was definitely on top and there was the home side and the only on us to go and win that game, I think, with the key injuries with Van Dijk and no Fabinho and no Thiago. Because he's asked a lot of Wijnaldum and Henderson to be that team on midfield against City's team and they did well in fairness, but City didn't really ask that many questions. And I've seen Pep after the game more about five subs and he has been all season, but he only made one sub and he was a light for light bringing Bernardo on top around Torres. He, when you leave Foden on the bench and... You've got Mares though, who was in the squad, and we don't know why he wasn't in the squad yet. Rob's COVID, I mean, didn't it? it? Well, he was. He's he missed games from COVID already this year. He's missed yeah. the start of the season. Um, That's what happened. But I mean, though. like, yeah, he wasn't in the squad. You don't know why, and then a couple of days later, comes out just out tested positive or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so maybe we'll, we'll find out in the coming days. But I mean, like, it's a good job that City have signed Ruben Diaz. We'd have lost that game if we didn't make a big sign because. Just every week, I'm more convinced that he's going to be like our captain for the next five years. He, he, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. He did. He did play really well. But sorry, just about midfield. I did think that weirdly, City's midfield was pretty vacant, and that's where the maybe that's maybe one of the reasons why they didn't end up going to win the game. Obviously, they should have with the penalty that they had. I, I, um, I think we're missing Silver. I, I know. Yeah. I know he was old, but I mean, when you watch City, try and notice next time. Who, if we make a chance. De Bruyne will be involved 
but like not to the point where you say oh he, he will be but like literally every single time it'll be on the left or the right and that's because when you play in a big game he always puts Rodri and Gundogan together because he's a bit yeah. scared of counter-attacks and stuff but they don't add anything going forward and they're both pretty slow they're pretty similar yeah. to players in that number six yeah, yeah. so De Bruyne's being asked to do too much yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. I thought I didn't think he played his best game. Um, but like you say, everything was expected to go through him. And I think City did definitely miss Mares as well. Um, and like you say, Gundogan and Rodri, there's not a lot between them really. It's pretty white bread midfield. You kind of know what you're getting. There's not really any explos- explosiveness or anything in particular that stands out in that midfield. And I think that was City's downfall um, overall in the game because we know how, how often they like going through midfield. But yeah, Ruben Diaz. Uh, we know how good Laporte is and, uh, you know, he's sotted in very comfortably next to him. Nice right foot, left foot, centre-back pairing, which is very, you know, nice to see. Don't see many of them these days, but no, he's, he's looked really comfortable, sotted in uh, really well next to Laporte since he's come in, definitely. Yeah, and for and for all the, the talk that's been going on for the past few seasons since Pep's been here, really, he's spent a lot on the defence and it's about time he got good, but about five yesterday when Walker and Kinsella were either side, because Kinsella had a really good game and, can sell off from open players actually created City's second most chances behind De Bruyne. He's only played four games. He's doing really well. I'd like to see him stay in when Mendy does come back anyway. Yeah. Um, it's a case of now the attacks failing in the defence, which is yeah. mad to think as a City fan. But yeah, like like Pep put it yesterday, they've only lost... We don't have a pre-season, we've only lost one in 12. We're top of the Champions League group. I know we're 10th in the league and it looks worse than it is, but I, I think eventually when fixtures start to spread out a bit more and not so piled up, I yeah. think we'll be all right. And I think we'll be right I mean, up there. And I know it sounds silly because we're going to do it anyway, but it is silly to judge a season after, you know, I mean, how many games have we played, including Champions League, like less than 10? It might just be 10. Uh, you know, how many times have we called things so early and, you know, things have, you know, completely flipped or, you know, we've said, oh, Leicester won't stay top of the table. They'll... Uh, tail off and they don't so it's, it's stupid to call things this early like you say uh, well we, we, we've seen I was I sent you before I don't know um, have yeah. you seen this Cook the um, yeah, yeah. European top five leagues who's top of it and how many points the big teams already dropped it's like um, I've not seen what you, no I've not yeah. seen this so like Sociedad and Villarreal are the top two in the league at the minute yeah. I think it's Milan and Sassuolo um, in Italy like Barca have dropped yeah. ten points PSG have dropped six points already like yeah, it's weird one, isn't it? Like, obviously, I'll try and it, find it. So obviously, with COVID and that, obviously, players can get taken out of lineups at any point. Like, obviously, Mbappe's had it, Neymar's had it, Zlat's had it. But like you said, it's a it's a weird time for anyone to yeah. even be playing, and that's why Leicester, obviously, at the top of our league. But prior to them winning, it was Southampton. So it just shows yeah. that it's affected everyone. And going back to the five subs uh, thing that Jim was saying before about, well, Pep's been moaning about it and a few other managers. I know Lampard spoke about it as well. Um, I just think that that as well, we are the only top five major European league that chose not to do it, which I think is very alarming. I think think they might regret that as well. I mean, not only have they been speaking about the subs, but obviously linked to that, uh, Klopp and Solskjaer have both mentioned you know, the schedule in that as well. And we saw that with Trent getting injured yesterday. Klopp's blamed that on, you know, fatigue and the lack of pre-season and, you know, just the sheer amount of games that have been, you know, sandwiched in together, shoehorned in together. Solskjaer mentioned that, you know, Shaw came off with a hamstring injury and there'll be multiple others. COVID is obviously still here with Chelsea, with Havertz. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's going to be a mad time. I think the least that they can do is, you know, I think they probably will review that five-sub thing. But like Jim said, they are moaning they're not even using the subs but you know maybe the, the chance yeah. to have that might change that I don't know uh, and I think the least they can do is you know sort out the, the schedule for the teams that are playing in in, in, in Europe midweek um, because I, maybe yeah. a big reason for all of these clubs dropping points is because the other teams have that couple of days rest and in a time normally that does make a difference but in a time like this where you know They've pretty much played football non-stop for the last however long, and they will, including the Euros. I mean, we're not really going to stop for a good 18 months. Um, you know, it will crop up even more, I'm sure, throughout the season. Yeah, I just think I agree with Pep when he says protect the players because because of the off-season being so short, a lot of the people who scientifically more know a lot more than me about all this stuff are basically saying that because there's not really been any sort of break They've just kind of carried on, carried on, carried on. But now we've had a couple of international breaks. We've had a little bit of time off here and there. Now all the injuries are starting to happen. Obviously, like you said, Trent's getting injured. 
And I, I genuinely do think they need, they need to look at the five players thing because protect the players because at this weird time they are all guinea pigs at this moment really and we all forget yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, and sorry, just going full circle again, that I've just found that tweet. It was Christoph Terreur who tweeted it, saying, points dropped by the richest clubs in 2020 to 2021. I'm not sure what the richest clubs means, probably the top clubs. Uh, but Liverpool have obviously lost, uh, dropped seven. Spurs have dropped seven. Chelsea have dropped nine. City has, have dropped nine. United 11, Arsenal 12, PSG 6. Atletico have dropped four, Madrid and Barca eight and ten, Juve eight into nine, Bayern have lost three already and Dortmund have lost six. So, I mean, majority of those teams have probably be unbeaten or, you know, maybe one loss at this stage and they've all lost multiple games already. So, definitely something in that and I think it's going to be a crazy season. Like Klopp said, we've got the Euros next summer. Let's see which players are still left standing for that. Yeah, it's, it's getting to the point now where they've got away with the schedule in previous years because they've always had that. You always play like like Klopp did. The, his, his example was one of his players was away in Peru on Wednesday and then kicks off at R12 on the Saturday. I mean, we've always had stuff like that, but now with the COVID and no pre-season and cramming the Champions League and it's, it's affecting the quality of the football and that's what they've got to look after. And to be honest, it's not only the players that are getting tired, it's me. I'm getting tired of watching City three times a week I'll yeah. be honest, I mean, Champions League every single week is just mental. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a break for one week. Yeah. No, we <laughs> yeah, are being spoiled with the Champions League and all that. And yeah. that's why probably it has such a, the prestige that it has that it is spaced out and we, we do see it as a... I know I look forward to it a lot, the Champions yeah. League, but I know what you mean. It's every week we're playing three times a week. I would sooner see, see us play less and have a more of a chance to compete at a higher level than churn out three games a week. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, definitely. I mean, and we are about. You say Champions League's a treat. We are about to be treated with another international break, which is definitely, definitely needed in, this, uh, in such a condensed season. But anyway, we will move on, and we'll uh, we'll speak about Everton. So Everton, you know, those who were top of the league a few weeks ago, they did a, a song came out. You know, went to number one and all that stuff. We've had the piss taken out of them. Uh, very defensive Everton fans. I see them all on Twitter. Um, but anyway, yeah, third, third loss in a row. Uh, Ancelotti, I don't think, has, well, hasn't lost three games in a row, uh, three league games, that is, since he was at 2006. Milan. Yeah, since he was at AC Milan in 2006. Uh, the last clean sheet for Everton was in mid-September in a cup game against Salford at home, uh, and they've only got one clean sheet in the league all season, and that was uh, the opening day game at Spurs, in which they did win 1-0. So, you know, we won't take that away from them, but... I mean, the question is with Everton, is it typical Everton Cook? Have they returned to the mean or have the, you know, suspensions and injuries, have they hurt them? Have they dropped off because, you know, Hammers was out, Richarlison was out, Dinya was out? Um, are they going to come back after the international break and be the uh, title contenders like we thought they would be in that first month? I think, realistically, the only people who considered Everton title contenders were Everton fans. I mean, we all know what they're like. Um, I, I think it, it stems from they've signed these players and they've gone straight into their 11, but the depth is still shit. Like, at the end of the day, you take Hamez off. Who's his sub? Alex Iwobi. He's terrible. Yeah. He's terrible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's not what you want. And if and I know it's obviously they're saying that they were going to win the title, this, that, and the other, but to even be in the conversation, you've got to have better depth than that. I mean, Liverpool chose to keep Shakiri around and he put in that gorgeous pass for Jota at the weekend that's depth Alex yeah. Moby isn't depth yeah you've either got to have depth or you know get really lucky with with injuries like we saw Leicester do where they pretty much played the same 11 week and week out for 38 game weeks so um, I mean despite obviously all the stick that they've been getting uh, Jim do you think Everton are heading in the right direction obviously Cook's mentioned the signings they've brought in It's as, nobody expected them to go from you know wherever they finished last season to challenges you know we can't take the piss too much really um, do you think they're heading in the right direction and what do you think progress would mean for Everton and Ancelotti this season um, no yeah definitely I think though this Everton side's um, the best since one of Moyes' sides I can't remember what year exactly yeah. it was yeah. when they was um, like fourth or fifth or whatever it was it was really it was 2005 I think so yeah I think, yeah, yeah. Like, I've said yeah, right right this might yeah, be one of the best Everton the teams yeah because yeah. um, and I think mainly the fun, it's because they're fun to watch. I mean, even doing a bad row at the minute and yeah, after the goal against United on the weekend, they was second best for the rest of the match. But before that goal, 
Everton were really impressive to me and it was fun to watch. They were zipping it around. Decore was boss in midfield and they didn't miss. They only missed Richardson against United. Mm. Um, I think progress this season for Everton will be... I think we mentioned it when we talked about Arsenal. It's, it's more of like a, a culture and characteristic kind of thing. It's like yeah. as soon as you put the pressure on Everton, like it's as soon as they, they get carried away of themselves, like yeah, they've had a good start to the season, but like calm down, you haven't really beat anyone good yet. They, they did play like teams expected other than Spurs and Spurs were really bad on that day they didn't really play anyone like too amazing and even Hammers himself were all getting carried away at is he's close to being a luxury player because he I know Stan you was talking about um, we off camera he's to me on the weekend Juanma um, won't come back and he, Alec, um, what's his name Wan Bissaka might get overloaded with Tignay going forward to attack it but what really happened I think Matt did alright I think what happened was James Rodriguez didn't come back once and yeah. Coleman was just left, and both goals came from that side. He didn't, yeah, yeah. We, we bossed, we bossed Everton's midfield uh, definitely. I thought Fred and McTominay were brilliant at covering and, and following Hamas uh, Rodriguez. But yeah, I mean Everton. One of the things I said at half time, they did, like you say, they did start really well, and then they just dropped so deep, and they don't have a lot of pace, especially without Richarlison out. Uh, and Calvert Lewin was just totally, totally uh, isolated for the whole game. I mean, the only time they got any joy out of that was when um, when he dropped onto Lindelof and flicked it on for Bernardo, who obviously ended up scoring. But apart from that, I can't think of anything. And, and like you said, we, we've seen some really good moves from Everton. It just looked like maybe they ran out of legs and maybe a little bit of ideas with how deep they, uh, how deep they dropped against United and, and things like that. But I do think Richarlison is really important. and A lot of their attacks do come through, obviously, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. Linking yeah, together, but... Sorry, and I, and I feel the breaks come at a good time for him. Um, yeah, yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think it's come at the right time for a, a lot of teams too. Um, and if we move on from Everton, I know um, Lou. We want to talk about Sheffield United. I know they're in trouble at the minute, and the bookies have got them favourites. I mean, but one, I think the second favourites to go down. And like you said to me before, they've played a lot of tough teams. Um, do you think the international breaks come well for them? And because they've not got a lot of players that go off to international duty, so maybe when they come back, they can really regroup and they've got some favourable fixtures coming up. Yeah, I mean, Chef, it's good for Chef because they stick to, well, they tend to stick with players from the home nations more often than not. And realistically, a lot of Chef United players aren't going to get into those sides. But like we was on about before, they've played Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leeds, uh, and Wolves. So I think, I think those games. You're obviously last season's a different story, but this year with Chef, I think the international break has come at a good time just because they've got all them out of the way. They've got one point on the board. They need to regroup and be like, look who we've played. We didn't play that bad in a lot of these games. We actually competed in some of them. Look at the runner fixtures we've got now. So they've got winnable games, obviously. West Brom away, West Ham at home, Leicester, Southampton, Brighton. Uh, Everton teams they can definitely pick points up from if they start going back to basics because they're not even doing the things that got them to the dance so to speak they were saying on match of the day the duels that Sheffield United won at this stage last year was around 64% on average in every game and now it's only at 48 so they're not even doing what really got them to the dance and what they're good at and it's obviously a weird system but I really, I, I'm going to go against the bookies on this one, Jim, because with the runner fixtures, the manager they've got and the players they've got, I definitely think they've got enough to stay up. That Sander yeah. Berg is a classy player. I really he like is. him. Yeah, very good player. I mean, I would also, although saying that, I, I would be a little bit worried with with if I was a Sheffield fan because you know the games that they have lost so far this season are the games that last season they were getting something from surprisingly, and they're just not. Um, which you know maybe you know that's luck or whatever, but the fact of the matter is that they haven't got the points on the table, on the yeah. board, should I say? And then you know, the next games now, the pressure is on to get those points because we've seen so many times how quickly teams can get pulled adrift from the pack, and once you're down there, it's really hard to get the confidence to get yourself back up. And like you say, with the dogged, determined way that Sheffield play, once that goes you've not really got a lot else. And I do fear for them, whether they've been figured out or whatever. I mean, they've only really lost Dean Henderson, who was a key player for them last season. You know, the amount of clean sheets he got for a promoted side, but it's a goalkeeper. And, you know, they're yeah. pretty much the remaining 10 outfielders are the same 10 outfielders, which might also be an issue that they haven't, you know, Brewster. Anybody. Um, yeah, Avery and Brewster as well. Sorry, they haven't really bought anybody that, you know, 
reinvigorated the squad, maybe give yeah. them a new option, a new idea or something like that. So that, that might be an issue, but um, they do really need to start getting uh, points on the board. Uh, very yeah. soon. It's very similar to Burnley, isn't it? Like the, the, they're both teams who show up in them big games usually and and then when they need the points, like you say, like West Brom like in the next fixture, Sheffield United are going to have to go from a team that's been backed against the wall against the Cities and the Liverpools and now they're going to go on, up to play on the front foot. And that might not suit them because it's hard to change that mentality so quickly. But it's the same with Burnley. They've not changed their team. We spoke about them the other week. And I, I, I'm, I'm in the camp of the same one as Lou. I think the manager and the players they've got, the same as Burnley. I think they'll both be okay. I know it's been a terrible start and the bookies are rightly putting in favourites, if you ask me, because you have got to be worried about like they might be able to change it because so much of last season was just on the form and they just kept going week after week. But Momentum. I just think the managers, yeah, I think the managers are too savvy, and I think they've got the right amount of players, like the right type of players. To yeah, yeah. yeah, they've got they've got hard working players, players that when you are down there, obviously going off the stats from match of the day last season, they are there. But to Play devil's advocate here and switch it up a bit. Chef weren't great. They did take the lead, breaking Chelsea's clean sheet record with Edouard Mendy coming in. But I must say, Hakim Ziyech looks a ridiculous footballer. I know Chef are bottom of the league and they've got one point from eight, but we need to speak about Chelsea. And Ziyech was by far the best player on the pitch in this game. I think he's such a good signing. And now he's in the side, got his fitness back. He looks like a massive boost for us going forward. Yeah, I mean, good good signing. Um, I mean, how much did you pay for him? Was it about thirty million or something like that? Yeah, thirty-two yeah. million, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it, it was a pre-contract, wasn't it? It was running out, and you signed him in the January to come in the summer. Is that right? Yeah, it was a buyout clause. I think he signed a contract yeah. with Ajax to say, "Give us one more year, and we'll bring your buyout clause right down on more I mean, wages." Is yeah. is at that prime age, twenty-seven-ish? Uh, is around that? You know that time you're going to hit your prime so if there is a time that you're going to leave you know one of these lesser leagues and come to the Premier League and try and prove yourself it's now um, and I did predict that in Chelsea's best team he, he would be in it um, because I do think he provides a lot of assists and a certain balance that maybe the other forward players uh, wouldn't be able to bring uh, and yeah just a really, really good player I did tweet saying that he's going to be mad this season obviously I'm not going to say that he has been because it's one game uh, but I would be very surprised if he doesn't you know stay in that Chelsea team and get a pretty, you know, tasty number of assists and, uh, you know, goal involvement. Yeah, Jim. I mean, he's he's played two Premier League games from the start. He's got three assists and one goal. Do you think it's it's warranted praise or do you think there's still a lot more to come from Hakim Ziyech? Oh, no, yeah, it's, it's definitely warranted praise because it's been such a good start. You can't not praise him, but he's only going to get better. I know he... I don't think his English is too great and he was... Set, I think he had an interview and he was saying he can... He was about his link with Thiago Silva for the goal when he crossed in for him. And he was saying all he needs is like a look. And that's what intelligent players do. Like football is a universal language. And yeah, yeah. Uh, as they gel together more, they're only going to be learning about each other more. And Ziyech is only going to get better, really, um, if you think about it that way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and maybe it's just another sign with Ziyech that, you know, maybe English fans should start calling other. Other leagues, farmers leagues, with uh, you know Thiago coming from the farmers league, Ziyech coming from the Eredivisie, and uh, Bruno Fernandez isn't doing too bad at United either, coming from the Portuguese league. But we move on. Nice to get farmers. Had to get Bruno nice in there. Farmers. Didn't he? I did. Had to in the end. And a nice thing, a positive thing in uh, in 2020, when you know positive things are a little bit hard to come by at the moment, is that the Premier League is set to scrap its unpopular pay-per-view model after this weekend's games that have just gone. So, yeah, obviously, we all know it came in a, a, probably a month or so ago now that they were going to charge fans £14.95 for these pay-per-view games that would be on box office, and, you know, BT, whatever the channel's called. Uh, didn't get a very good reception from football fans, to say the least. Uh, a lot of them came together and kind of said, right, we need to stand together now. Um, and you know not pay this pretty much I think I mean me, myself included I was a little bit sceptic that football fans would hold together because I do think that we shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes with trying to be you know top fans of clubs when I think if we came together and maybe you know stopped things like this and decided oh no I'm not going to watch them this week because it's this or whatever and then you know I think we would have a, a little bit more power and this shows it because you know the measly figures that they were getting 
Uh, I think there was one game, I think I'm going to guess, I think it was West Brom Burnley, something like that, was a pay-per-view game. And 74 people bought the... Uh, Bought the bought the pay per view access to watch that one, so very very measly, uh, very measly figures. Are they right to drop this cup? Do you think that the fans have won? Do you think that they will? Uh, leave? Yeah, and I, I wouldn't I know, say. I know they're talking currently that it's end of twenty twenty. Do you think that that will be it? Obviously, first they spoke about just reducing it to uh, nine ninety five, four ninety five, whatever. Do you think that you know that this is it, or do you think it will rear its head again? I think it'll rear its head again just because of the sheer greed of the people involved. I know that the money, if you buy a pay-per-view game and the team, basically the team at home gets all the the proceeds. Uh, So whoever's at home gets all, whoever pays 15 quid. So the 74 U Dossers that bought the West West Brom game, uh, that went straight into West Brom's back pocket. So I don't think the clubs are too bothered about it happening, but I think one, it's too expensive. You need to sort your broadcasting out and get it on a subscription base because it's ridiculous that this is a thing every year now where you can't watch certain games. You've got to buy, you've now got to buy this in a time where nobody's got money and now they're jacking up the price of sport. When Jim, was you saying what, what was that thing you can buy for the NFL or the NBA? Was it? Oh, well, any, um, there's a, does yeah. own, does Premier League in USA and Canada and they also do NFL and then, the NBA's got its own pass and it's like £159 a year or something like that. But yeah. I know it's similar for them. Like, Americans find it hard. Like, I think it's day for Americans to watch um, like NBA and NFL. But then over here, we can watch it like well cheap. Yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah, it's flipped in it. It's like how we can't normally watch three o'clock here, um, but they can over there. But apparently, yeah, in, in America, that's why sports bars, which a couple of sellers with living over there, became such a massive thing because so many different you know broadcasting companies got hold and none of them reduced the prices so a lot of them just decided well i'm not going to pay and sports bars appeared and people started going there but um i mean it shows to us that protests do work you know boycotts do work and ultimately fans have the power and one of my favorite things about this was that you know there was a lot of fans obviously very apt at the moment that decided not to give sky or bt or whoever the 1495 they would actually donate to a food bank which kind of shows what I do have the money but you know you're not having it the power is with me and once you take away you know the money from these companies you see that the leverage is taken away and ultimately you know the fans the game is there because of the fans what the fans decide ultimately will rule yeah Yeah. I mean that that was so good to see because um like I think Bill H was the manager who mentioned it, that football isn't isn't golf it isn't polo it's in working man sport and it should be easy to watch for everybody and I think the worry personally for me was that, like, listen, I, I didn't have to pay for it because City were on telly so often, um, which is another thing that's not been really mentioned. It's yeah. not that fair that a few teams have had to pay three times and I think City and another team haven't had to pay once. But I, personally, I was never going to pay £15 to watch Montelli. It just no. wasn't going to happen. But, I mean, the, the, the worry was that if everybody did start paying for the other games, then next year they'll go, oh, it's a little incentive. City, Liverpool, that's a big game. Yeah. It's not on Sky Sports 1 anymore. It's on PPV. Yeah. Like, do the Premier League know what pay-per-view sport is? Like, they're so far out their own ass. Pay-per-view sport yeah, is they are. the biggest boxing fight of the year. The that happens MMA. once a year. Yeah. Um, it, UFC, boxing, um, I'm trying to think, WrestleMania. Anything like, they, like yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous that they think West Brom versus Burnley's pay-per-view. I've played in games that have been more exciting than West <laughs> Brom Burnley. And that's not I, even taking the piss. I've played in, like, multiple games. Jim, I can vouch for that game. The one where Jim <laughs> the one where Jim got sent off. Less we speak about that the better. But definitely more entertaining than Burnley and West Brom, most definitely. Yeah. Put, Just put to see that little touch going down the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> no, the fans, the fans have won, definitely. Fans have definitely won. And as we've said, created by the poor, stolen by the rich. But maybe we can stop them if we all come together, like we just have done, and uh, try not to outdo each other on being top fans okay listeners breaking up the pod a little bit this week we've decided we're going to bring in a new segment in light of Adoma Luckman being a complete idiot in the words of Roy Keane this weekend and he was going for a Penenka penalty I believe it was the 98th minute the 95th minute something (laughs) like that and (laughs) Fulham 1-0 down I think they're away from home as well. You think, yeah. just put it in. We'll take a big point here. He goes for the Penenka and Fabianski looks like 
he's just woke up Christmas morning and pissed on his presence. He wasn't happy. No, I mean, <laughs> he wouldn't be. I mean, I've seen a lot of shouts for docking a week's wages, but in fact, you know, I'd be making it, I'd be making it a month, I think, me in that 98th minute. I mean, I know we've spoken about not calling it too early and West Ham are doing well, but ultimately they could possibly be a relegation rival towards the end of the season. It could have been a valuable point for Fulham. And uh, I mean, the worst part is that the chip did hardly even reach the net. I mean, that's why, why when you get the new FIFA in it, you don't know how penalties work and you changed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fuck they've changed it again and yeah. you don't know what's going on you fucking press B and the guy just rolls it <laughs> to Fabianski it was it was shocking it was shocking so there we go I mean we won't have one every every single time but yeah Adam Overlookman is definitely our dick of the day yeah he has to be put in there the sheer audacity to even try it let alone fuck it up but I take my hat off to you mate you have bigger balls than I do allegedly <laughs> It's that time again, ladies and gents. It is time for the bet of the week. International football ain't going to knock our hustle at that's the way the cookie crumbles. We're going to get you some pennies in these troubling times. So to start you off, I have got Scotland to beat Serbia in the Euro qualifiers. Come on, we can do it. I've got Northern Ireland to beat Slovakia. Sticking with the homeboys here. Sticking with the couple. We're going away. We're going away next. We're going west to Germany. We've got them to beat Ukraine to nil. And then the big boy fixture of the weekend, Portugal, France. I've gone both teams to score result France. So just to recap the bet of the week, I've got Northern Ireland at home to Slovakia, Scotland away at Serbia, Germany to nil at home to Ukraine and France, both teams to score result away at Portugal. And Stan, if anyone's got any sense, what can they do with that? They can show it up the rackers. Okay, welcome back to That's Where the Cookie Crumbles, episode 84. We're closing on that century mark, 84 now. Um, we talked earlier about how a few surprise teams are top of the European leagues. And... <laughs> <laughs> Whose else is that? <laughs> man, you that you man, can you? Get us a 99J. Twenty to seven in November. Get that ice cream man out for me. <laughs> Keep this in. <laughs> oh god! Instead of getting us a ninety-nine, just keep it going. Instead of getting us a ninety-nine, tell us, tell us about some surprise title contenders, Jim. Maybe get me and Stan a zap. Actually, <laughs> we do like a zap. That's pretty me off my game. I'll be honest. But, <laughs> But yeah, we, we mentioned it and you, you spoke about Leicester top of the league and before them Southampton. I believe there was a 20-minute period where even Spurs were top of the league. Um, so, I was thinking of the, so I was thinking of the question, who is the likely contender this season to do a Leicester when they won in 2016 and out of nowhere? Who, who is that surprise contender? And I had a look at the teams and I come to the conclusion that it is Leicester to do a surprise Leicester because they're in better points this season with their games played, same amount of games played as when they won the title. They've got a better team, I believe. Um, I know they lost Mars and Kante, who's two massive players, but I mean, overall, throughout the rest, it's quite a bigger team, better team. You've already got massive results. Um, they dismantled C, they beat Wolves on the weekend, they beat Arsenal, um, and they've had a lot of injuries, like Sancho um, has featured in half the games, Ricardo's a big player, not featured at all. Madison, yeah, he has featured, but I don't believe he started many, if any. Mainly in the Europa, he starts. He's, yeah. he, start, he started against Wolves. I think that's the first start. Wilfred and Didi's played two games, and they yeah, have to be at centre back because they started the season about Johnny Evans, another big player. Um, the new signing, Castagne, just been injured. And I mean, them I'm new shrink, signings, yeah. him. Yeah, him and Fafana, Fafana looked brilliant on the weekend. They've just yelled right in. Um, Chengi's under. It looks like he's got an understanding of Vardy already. Vardy's banging him in already again. Um, I think everything's just looking... I think it's only going to get better for Leicester and the top of the league. Yeah. And we spoke about the Euro, You just said Europa League then. They're actually... I know it's, they've played some games where you should win like Zoya and Braga. But they're nine points out of nine. Spurs haven't got nine points out of nine. I think Arsenal have, maybe. But it, it was that shit team Tottenham lost against too as well. Was it Antwerp or something like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 Antwerp. Yeah, but I mean, that, like, that's what I mean. You've still got to win them. 
20%. Yeah, it might not be a diff- difficult fixture in itself, but I mean, when you cram it in on the first in between two tough Premier League games and not of the deepest of squads, yeah. away from all, still winning it. Yeah, and I think Brendan Rodgers is a brilliant manager. Last season, I think he was unlucky because he was really onto something. He was set nailed on for third, and then the lockdown <laughs> happened, and he, yeah. he came back and he just capitulated. I believe that if he was a normal season, he would have finished top four. And yeah. this season, I don't see many um, people talking about him be top four contenders we're all wondering if Chelsea and Spurs and United are going to be the third and fourth but for yeah. Leicester look just as strong so far definitely yeah no I'd agree with that especially outside the top six uh, it will be Leicester um, and they are the best team outside the outside the top six for me and like you say they've got a number of players that you know they've been missing and once they come back you'd expect them to to improve on where they are now um, maybe, maybe stay there like you say not a lot of people have been speaking about them for top four I don't know why maybe it might be linked to simply because they don't get the clicks or you know they don't get the the action that you know you'd like or, or on social media when you want to talk about these big clubs but Leicester you know definitely up there like you say Rodgers uh, fuck me Rogers it's back again them. it's coming it's back, back for them second it, lots it, I'll have some cherry sauce going. on my flake He's going that. No, but yeah, no, <laughs> keep that in. Rogers, uh, Rogers has been there before. I mean, without taking the piss out of him, he has. You know, he's been there with Liverpool uh, in the 13 14 season. I know they didn't end up winning it, but um, it did not, no. he's been up there before in a title race to a, you know, the final few games. So why not again? Like you say, Leicester's squad is definitely better for me. Squad, anyway, definitely better than the one that. That won it in uh, was it fifteen sixteen? So yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a brilliant squad. I'm just going to ask you, Cook. Um, out of all the players in that Leicester squad, like it's got a lot of talent from back to front. I mean, if you had to pick one player to go to Chelsea, how about Leicester team? Who would you have? Ooh, I know I'll put, put you on the spot here, but no, no, I like pick? it. I like it. It, it. it mean it means I have to give her an honest answer for how I'm feeling at this moment in time. Chill well. <laughs> yeah, can I have Chilwell? <laughs> no, I w- I'll tell you who, who I would take, Jim. Yuri Tielemans, because I really like him. I think he's a baller in the making. I can't see him staying at Leicester for much longer. I think. I, I believe, years. actually, he's on the verge of a new contract. Or well, they're looking to make him sign one. If they can, if they can sign him <clears throat> to a new deal, I would, because I, think, I genuinely think he's brilliant, Yuri Tielemans. I think... Going forward, he's classy. He makes the right pass majority of the time. Defensively, he's good as well. And I think they picked him up for next to nothing. I think Rodgers might have had his FIFA 16 career mode on, signing Telemons from Anderlecht for this one. But in hindsight, just like all those FIFA 16 managers, it looks like a good signing. I, th- I think everybody was surprised when he went, wasn't he? Like, we, we all knew of him and thought, well, yeah. he's, he's going to be a good player. And then Leicester got him and he's been he exactly what we kind of thought run at him, didn't they? They had a bit gone, of a, like a free run. He'd, um, he'd gone to Monaco and not really hit the ground running, hadn't he? So I think maybe a few of the top clubs were were um, a little bit worried. I know that apparently United were in for him, but it was the same time we were in for Maguire. And United in for a player? Any player? You joke. Well, I'm, I'm, apparently United were in for him. Genuinely, though, not one, not one of the 300 that we're linked with. Not like Gaetan. Not like Gaetan. Uh, I don't know. I can't. No comment. Uh, <laughs> We were aware that Leicester wanted him uh, and we wanted Maguire, so not to piss them off, we uh, let them have a run at Tielemans and we took That's Harry nice for you. So there That's we nice go. Um, but yeah, no, Tielemans, if it was me, I think I'd take Wilfred and Didi. I know he's already been mentioned. Uh, lovely player, lovely. Um, always up there for tackles, tackles completed, very simple, knows his game, very dynamic and can cover the pitch really well and, and you know, tidy enough on the ball, so, you know, use it well when he's when he's won it so yeah definitely Leicester outside of Leicester I know we've spoken about them a bit outside the top six you're struggling really aren't you uh, it's been a pretty a, mismatch, a mismatch of a mediocrity yeah. but, um, but Villa look good um, I know Cook, yeah. you're, you're, you're a big fan I mean he had that little spell where he lost two games and they were I think they conceded like seven six or seven goals or whatever but back this weekend um, thrashed at Arsenal the, the Barclays curse happens when a team like Arsenal gets a big result. They go and get back to the next week, and Villa were there, and they, they genuinely did batter him. I mean, is, Martin has his easiest clean sheet at the Emirates, and he's been an Arsenal player. Yeah, I saw yesterday that he has more clean sheets at the Emirates than Bert Leno. 
this season, which speaks volumes for Arsenal's leaky defence. And we spoke about Arsenal's and Arteta's potential inconsistencies, so we won't speak too much on that. But Villa were great, great value for money. Everything yesterday went through Jack Grealish, by far Aston Villa's best player. Everything going through him, confident, especially that third goal, who just gets his head down, runs, 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 cuts it in. Ollie Watkins got a slight, well, quite an acute angle, and he puts it through the legs of, of Leno, but... The thing, the thing with Aston Villa, they're so hit and miss just because of that. They're attacking flair, like they're so easy on the eye going forward. With like McGinn, who again played really well in this game, John McGinn, Barkley had a really good game, Grealish, Ollie Watkins, but even the defense, like a clean sheet for Aston Villa away at Arsenal, is well, it's huge. Yeah, no, definitely. Villa have a. You look at Villa's team on paper, and they've got a number of good players. I mean, Jack Grealish is obviously on another level from anybody at that team. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that assist for Watkins' goal where he absolutely bounces off Bellerin. But, uh, I, don't think I've ever, actually, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that, really, where he looked like he was running full speed. He ran about 40 yards, looked like he was going to fall. And then uh, his, his low centre of gravity bumps into Bellerin and he slots for Ollie Watkins in and then it's perfect pass and they score. But yeah, Arsenal didn't have an answer. Uh, I thought Villa were brilliant. Obviously, they've had a great result already at home to Liverpool, uh, which, you know, we did also talk about. So, I like Villa a lot, yeah. Proper, proper classic uh, English Premier League club, doing really well, which is good to see. Um, would you say that Villa have got that balance now, obviously, they've got McGinn back, Douglas Louise is a player, obviously, you know, played for Man City, but didn't really play for Man City at the same time, but he sat, he sits in there, they've got McGinn, who also do that job in their little 4-2-3-1. Ross the bosses, you can you play either Trezeguet or whoever out on the right. You play Grillo on the left, Watkins through the middle. Would you say that now they do have that balance between attack and defence where now they are scoring goals and it looks like they've tightened it up a bit? Yeah, I, I think um, towards the end of last season, it definitely tightened it up. And Mings and Conta seems to be the permanent. I know they went through quite a few centre-backs last season and a few variants, but it's always good when a team knows its best starting eleven. And you know what Villa's best starting eleven is week in, week out. I mean, you could yeah. maybe put Hurryhan in for him again sometimes, but I think now Barkley's in the top of that midfield and him especially um, has took a lot of pressure off Grealish. But I think really, I think Villa's biggest um, reason as Twyla so good this season is just Grealish is playing at a different level. He, he's simply one of the league's best players. I mean, you've got to accept yeah, it now. Game. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's right. He, he, He's, he's almost took it personally that it's not been signed by someone big. Yeah, yeah I mean, good. Cooks, Cooks yeah. mentioned about the transfers and, you know, they seem to have learned from last summer where they bought a few random players or players that didn't work and, you know, they've gone out and got Barkley. They've got uh, Bertrand Traore and obviously Ollie Watkins, uh, which was a lot of money, but, um, you know, shopping in the championship recently <laughs> for some clubs has, has done them really well and that's obviously proven to be a smart signing and obviously, like you've said, keeping all the Grealish, staying up, uh, and keeping hold of him was, you know, the best piece of business he, he possibly could have done. But he's up there again with the creation numbers, and you know, maybe sometime soon Southgate might uh, put him in the starting eleven. Well, yeah, yeah going back to what you said, then Jim, he might have took it personally off the England situation. Either yeah. big clubs not come and got him. Southgate's obviously in the same boat. He's not completely convinced, but apparently he's moving up our list according to Southgate. Throw the list in the bin, you, lad. He should be. You know what? Um, <laughs> You know what, too, for Villa, I mean, especially with Grealish and Barkley and a few of the others, playing with confidence. And that's what, yeah. they get a big result at Liverpool and playing with confidence. Have you seen the first goal? You watch 30 seconds yeah. before that first goal, like Barkley and Grealish on the left-hand side, the toy in Arsenal, the show. But Barkley does about, every time Barkley gets the ball, it does a trick. And Grealish yeah. just the same. And then from it, Barkley's reverse pass, target puts in a sack, puts in his own net. I mean, it's yeah. all from that. If I was an Arsenal fan, I don't get why so many players like stand off. He's literally like, about playing FIFA and holding and just containing. Like, yeah. not, there was not attack made. And that's what, what happens yeah. when you just let confident players do what they do. Yeah, it's I mean, that as well. Sorry, Stan, go on. No, no, I mean, I was just going to say, obviously, last week we had, not to harp back on it, but it's, it's typical Arsenal, isn't it? I know a lot of teams do it, but that's, you know, letting letting teams play, not hitting them hard, not upsetting them, not, you know, whatever. It's, it's your typical Arsenal, which Arteta's trying to move away from. Yeah, I was just going to say that Grealish and Barkley, the form that they're in, I had no doubt that Barkley was even going to be on the plane had he stayed at Chelsea. And the fact that he's playing for Villa every week, 
and the the pass he almost gets the the hockey assist as we like to call it uh, the the assist of the assist and that reverse pass stand I know you saw at the weekend that he played I, I think it was for Matt Target for Oliver yeah, Christian's goal what what a reverse pass and I think if you there are some values to get both Barkley and Grealish in the England squad that's definitely going to happen yeah, and I think with Villa uh, sorry I was just going to say the thing about Villa as well with Arteta what I think he did get wrong in this game is you don't need a three at the back every week. Villa have one striker and you've got three centre-backs marking him. Pack out the midfield because they, they overloaded him and that's essentially why they lost so so badly. He did, yeah. Very one-dimensional at the moment. Arsenal even played a back five against Dundalk in the Europa League. I saw different personnel, but they still played still played the back five. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just going full back, back circle uh, to uh, to Jack Grealish, who you know, was, was immense. Uh, he was... Touted around at about seventy million in the summer, which a lot of people turn the nose up. And if he, if he has another season this season like he did last season, that might prove to have been quite the snip, depending on what they want at the end of this season. Hello and welcome back. And it is that time of the pod. Uh, Jim's got a massive smile on his face. It is the only reason he does this podcast. It's for this beautiful five-minute segment. And it is, yeah, it's it's who am I? So. Play along, play along, why not? You know how it is. Five facts, two players, and that's it. You know, Jim versus Cook, and we'll go straight into it. So, the first clue for player number one. I was born in 1981. Loman Luar He's not done that, the maths for us that will week, make him, Well, that will make him 39 if uh, I'll do what Cook did last Thanks. week. Thanks. Lamana Luar did you say? <laughs> that is who I said. What? What a player, what a celebration, but it's not. Oh, right, I'll go for the other Luwalua. Kazenga, I think that's his nephew. Yeah. Right? No, it's not him. He's definitely not 39. Um, so the second fact, or second clue, whatever which way you want to look at it. In 1997, I became the youngest player to appear in the first team for Charlton Athletic, a record that has since been broken. Luke Young. Oh, no. No, very, very good guess. I forgot he existed. That's a Premier League years guess, that. That's what that is. Marcus, another very, very good guess, but no, it's not. See, look, look, that's good. Very good Charlton knowledge. (laughs) Um, Me and Jim, (laughs) secret Charlton fans. (laughs) Got match attacks. When Van Persie scored that class goal against us. (laughs) (laughs) With Lanera as a sponsor. So, yeah, if, if you're listening at home, you might have got it by now, uh, or you might have guessed similar to Jim and Cook, but we go on to the third fact. We're shit. I scored, I scored a goal in the two... That's it, no. I scored a goal in the 2006 FA Cup final, but missed my penalty in the shootout. Paul Kuczewski? Paul Kuczewski. Cook knows oh. his FA Cup finals. Paul Kuczewski. There we go. Next fact, Jeez. I followed... I followed Roy Hodgson to Liverpool in the summer of 2010 and I am currently the assistant manager of Villaricky Town. He is. Fair play, fair play. There you go, Paul Koncheski. Wow, what a player. What a ball. He's got got a cross. It loops over Pepe Reina at the back stick. But we move on to the second player. First fact. My middle name is Claude. Robert Perez. Claude McAuley. Robert Perez. And Claude Claude McAlate. No, neither <laughs> of them. It's neither of them. Claude Claude. Second fact. I won the League 1 Golden Boot in 1999 whilst playing for eventual league winners, Bordeaux. Gorkuth. Sylvan Wiltor. Fuck me, yeah. Sylvan Wiltor. Well done. <laughs> Four points. No, it isn't. On the, on the second, it is. I swear to God, I didn't even like, know he played. You uh, don't know League uh, like I know League uh. As Sylvan will so it's not I your. Who played for Bordeaux in '99? Defo played for Bordeaux. That's class. I'm I'll, so I'll go through him anyway. It is yeah. Sylvan Claude will so. Third fact: like many French players at the time, I joined Arsenal in the summer of 2000 for a club record fee. Fourth, that in a goal global at Old advertising campaign in the run-up to the World Cup in Korea. I starred in an advert alongside players such as Edgar David, Cannavaro and Luis Figo. And the last one is, in the 2001-02 season, I scored the title-clinching goal for Arsenal at Old Trafford in a 1-0 win. And it is Sylvan Claude Wiltor. 
I've caught an info on Cutler and I've got no chance. Is, I know. I mean, that's that's like when you get the beast on the chase. Do the honours, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> the clues the clues that uh, the clues that Cook had were that his middle name was Claude and he won the golden boot for Bordeaux in nineteen ninety nine and he got Sylvan Wiltor, so like Jim says, you can't beat that Cook was on form, so there we go. And that concludes who am I? So, listeners, it is time for The Last Bite. That's right, The Last Bite is back. And we've got a question that's dominated social media lately with Sergio Ramos getting his 100th goal for Real Madrid, Stan, recently. So, we're going to ask the question to the Cookie Pod boys. While Jim's just gone for a piss, it's just me and Stan here for the moment. But we'll ask the audience (laughs) as well. Is Sergio Ramos the best centre-back of all time? Ooh, now that is a question. I mean, what is the best centre-back of all time? I suppose there's loads of little caveats and attributes that probably goes all the way down to preference of, you know... Nicest how you legs? A centre-back, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, then. Definitely, he's got the nicest legs. Um, but no, it probably comes down to preference of how you want a centre-back to play. Do you prefer the, you know, the Bastion? Do you prefer the Brutes, the John Terry, the Nemanja Vidic, the Yapstam? Or do you prefer, you know, the Silkies, the, the Real Ferdinands, the, you know, the, the players like that? But definitely, definitely, uh, Sergio Ramos is up there as one of the best of all time. I mean, if you look at, you know, his, his effect that he has on the team, I mean, I said it off cam that I've, I think that he had the same level of effect on those on that Madrid team that won all those Champions Leagues as, as Ronaldo did. I mean, if obviously when Ronaldo wasn't playing... Madrid suffered, but at the same time, if Ronaldo was still playing, but Ramos wasn't, um, Madrid suffered just as much. I mean, I remember distinctly, um, and you will too, uh, Madrid had Juve in the Champions League and Madrid got a very, very late penalty in which Buffon got sent off. Uh, and I think they won it, the first leg, was it 2-0 when Ronaldo scored the overhead kick? I think me and Cook watched that together. And Juve were winning at the Bernabeu and Madrid ended up scoring like a 95th minute penalty to go through uh, on away goals I think it was in the end and Ramos was out of that game and they still had Ronaldo but they were absolutely awful um, so yeah I mean effect on a team definitely up there and as Cook also told us Ancelotti said he's one of the best leaders he's ever played uh, ever coached sorry um, and you know he just gets yeah. the best out of everybody makes everybody feel really good and, you know, the goal scoring, 100th goal of his career this weekend, the honours that he's won, World Cups, Euros, Champions Leagues, Copa yeah. del Reyes, La Liga I've titles. Actually got, I've actually got everything. them all here for you, Stan, just to read them out. He's won one World Cup, two European Championships with Spain, four Champions Leagues, five La Ligas, four top, uh, sorry, four Copa del Rey, four Super Cups, four FIFA Club World Cups. Like the list goes on, and Jim, Jim's just joined us. We did tell the listeners that you went for a, a quick piss. We, we give about that peek behind the curtain. But with Jim, we were saying it is really about preference because you did say off cam that before that he's definitely the best centre back of the past decade. But for you, I'm I'm not entirely convinced he's the best of all time for you, Jim. He's not your goat. Um, yeah, maybe I, I think it's hard to judge like over like the whole period of football to guess who's the best centre-back but so I do like to split it up into generations and decades or whatever you want to call it so for me I mean like de- yeah definitely the last decade hands down I don't think anybody comes close to Ramos's success never mind what he's actually how he plays on the pitch and Stan used to talk about his 100 goals I would like to know how many of them 100 goals have been in big occasions or last minute headers and stuff and game winners mm. because he just seems to pop up all the time I mean we played Madrid um, last season when we beat them and when Ramos was sent off in the first leg, going into that second leg, I was, he was the one player I think any City fan would have thought. If you could take one of the Madrid players out and he's got a lot of talent in it, you'd like, you didn't want to play against City in the second leg. We'd have all said Ramos because he's just so good in them big games. Yeah. And he is class. Yeah, when you say that about a centre-back, it's just, it's just so massive because the game winners don't play a centre-back and the big players are the forwards and the wingers and the midfielders. So when you look at a team as good as Madrid and you think, who's the danger man? And who's the man we don't want to see in the lineup today? And it's a centre back. Yeah. It's just, that's just, and not like, that, what, what more can you say? And that's how good he is. And I think what Ramos has got, and he's going through a, a list of names, are like your Terry's and your Vidic's and et cetera. 
and not even pro company in that list. I don't think he's one of the greatest ever, but they've all got something that you can't teach a centre back or a player. They just yeah. got mentality, the, the elite mentality, the leaders and the winners. Simply, yeah, simply like 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 Jim just said. Then stand leaders and winners, all elite mentality when it goes to winning trophies. Obviously, we named all the trophies that he's won. Then he's still only thirty-four. I know it feels like he's been around for ages. But everybody forgets Stan, and you'll know from going through a phase of watching Real Madrid most weeks, I think it's fair to say, that initially he was a right-back. And he was, yeah, I think yeah. it was Jose Mourinho that made him a centre-back. He was. He was. Jose pulled him into centre-back. Yeah, he did. Put him next to uh, Pepe, who was the, uh, wow. the forgotten man in that Real Madrid team uh, and in the Portugal team in your uh, 2016. But yeah, he did. Jose pulled him into centre-back. <laughs> Sorry, Stan. Pulled him Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking what? Getting the went vaccine. Way. Sorry, Getting the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, lad. Start again. All right. So yeah, Mourinho pulled him into centre back next to Pepe, the forgotten man. Um, and yeah, he used Avaro Abelou at right back, so a good upgrade in that position. Uh, no, but seriously, I mean. He was, yeah, he was at right back. He couldn't get in that, that centre-back slot for, for Madrid. Uh, he couldn't get in that centre-back slot, especially for Spain, with obviously that PK and Puyol combination uh, in there. But as soon as he went in there, he went up a level. He was good at right back because, I mean, scoring under goals, you'd think with him being a centre-back and being so good that, you know, at right back, he would have been a defensive one and he wasn't at all uh, up and down that side, you know, getting assists and, and so effective off offset pieces and you know he is Mr Real Madrid over 600 uh, appearances for the club now uh, something ridiculous like he's won 300 and odd of his 400 uh, league games that he's played in that he started for Madrid so his effect on the team again is ridiculous that is a ridiculous win rate over such a long time and uh, you know made made the most appearances for Madrid in the El Clasicos so he is a man for the big occasion squad both the opening goals against the uh, in the Champions League finals against the uh, cross town rivals in Atletico Madrid. So, like Jim says, he is he is the guy for Madrid, and uh, definitely definitely the best defender of the past ten years. And probably, if you were to make a list, he would probably be in the top five of all time, just going off his ability, but also off everything that he's won. And you know, there's a reason why he's won all of those uh, all those honors. Yeah, he's, he's a centre back. He's a defender that when we're older. And we all have grandkids and kids, and you ram us on the side in some punditry or whatever, and they go, "Oh, was he a good player?" And you say, "Yeah, lad, he was. He was fucking sick." In yeah. just like he's one of them players that you remember, I think, forever, just because he's he's so iconic in like every way. Like even his antics when he gets sent off, and <laughs> yeah. what he did to Salo. I mean, like whether it was intentional or not, and Liverpool fans are crying about it still now, but. The only reason that we think it's intentional because that's the kind of player he is. He'll do anything to win, and that's he's what football's about. He's, he is the ultimate pantomime villain in his stuff. He's one of those. He's one of those players that you, that you know you look at him and his attributes. He could probably play anywhere on the pitch. Um, I've struggled to think of an area. I mean, the goals. He could probably do a job for you as a target man on the wing, wherever you want him to play on the ball. He's comfortable uh, all round. Yeah, just just unbelievable player, definitely. Yeah, he is literally one who will die on a Real Madrid sword. He, he loves that club and he's just a top, top player. And to round it off the Sergio Ramos section, I'm going to ask myself, Stan and Jim, is Sergio Ramos the greatest of all time? If not, I want to know who is. I don't want to know why. I just want to know no. who is. So I'm going to start it off with, I do think Sergio Ramos is the best defender of all time. And I, I genuinely think that just because of the longevity of him, what he's won, and it's almost like I've grown up with him. I know he plays in La Liga, but he's almost the Beckenbauer of my era. That's the way I see it. So Sergio Ramos is my goat, as Bateson would say. Jim, no. is he or is he not your goat? <laughs> no. The goal defender is Paolo Maldini. And I don't need to explain why. He just yeah. is. It's Paolo Maldini, and I don't. I can't see it ever changing. To be honest, no. I mean, the the craziest thing about Maldini is that he's probably arguably the best left back and arguably the best centre back of all time. So crazy. But um, to go something different, you mentioned him, Cook. I'd probably go for Beckenbauer, another player who you know completely you know changed the position, the, the sweeper, but also had these mazy runs through the middle of the pitch and got his first year of goals and a, uh, a pair of Adidas boots named after him so he couldn't have been too bad. 
apologies in advance, listeners. It is that time where we have to love you and leave you. But if you if you want a bit more of the Cookie Pod Boys, if we've not quite tickled that fetish of yours, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cookie Podcast One. That's at Cookie Podcast, followed by the number one. Anywhere you want to find our pods, we are now available on YouTube. Jim's been kind enough to make little clips for us on YouTube. If you don't have time to listen to everything the Cookie Pod boys have to say, we don't take it personally. But Joe Rogan's definitely copied us by doing this. We have a Clips YouTube channel, so go and check that out. And if you want to find us to listen to the whole pod, you do have a bit more time than Alan, who works at the garage doing nights. You can find us SoundCloud, Acast, and Apple Podcast, as well as Spotify, just by searching That's the Way the Cookie Crumbles. It's been episode 84. I've been your host, Cook, and That's the Way the Cookie Crumbles. See you later.